This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Well, hello, everybody. Have you drowned this morning yet out in the rain? It is pouring. We had the hottest summer on record quickly, I think, followed by the wettest autumn on record. I think it's on its way. Pop quiz before we start this morning. Bit of pop quiz. Do you like that? Yeah, like a bit of pop quiz, guess the year and everything. So, have you got your heads on? There's some musicians here in the room as well. Quick pop quiz for you. Who wrote the song, Suspicious Minds? Okay, I was trying to catch you out there deliberately. I I did ask you who wrote the song. But can I ask you, who sang the song first? Are you sure about that? Mm. That song has been sung by over seven different artists. And how's the song go? Can you all remember? We can't go on together. Sorry, it doesn't go. We can't. Does it go on? We go on together. It starts with ding, 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 ding. I'm caught in a trap. See my leg, my Elvis. Shall we do the Elvis version? No, we'll do the uh, criminal, criminal Minds. What was it? What was the other band that sang it in 1986? Fine Young Cannibal sang that in 1986. Indeed, Suspicious Minds is a song uh, first recorded by American singer-songwriter Mark James. Did you know that? You know it now. After James's recording failed commercially, I'll say, oh, the song was handed to Elvis. And that was all right. I thought that was okay. Okay, we're mocking my Elvis impressions this morning. It was handed to Elvis Presley by Chips Mormon. Chips Mormon. I love how Americans have got names like Bud and Chips and all of these names. We give, in this country, we give people names like Trevor, (laughs) Colin, all of those. But I love the Americans. Anyway, it became a number one song in 1969, the year that I was born. Okay, thanks for that, the year that I was born. But the song is a song that is sung about a couple, and it starts with, they're caught in a trap. They can't go on like this because she has a suspicious mind. Have you got a suspicious mind? That's what I want to ask you today as we turn to God's word this morning. It's easy for us to get caught in a trap. And one of the traps that we are talking about the last couple of weeks together as we've been looking at God's word in, in our series, Unoffendable, we've been looking at the world and how people get so offended about the slightest thing these days. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? Have you noticed how, you know, you can put one wrong post on Facebook and all those haters come out? Or one wrong thing you say and someone says, you can't say that. And I'm thinking, I just did. And nobody killed me. But I don't know, you can't say that. That's, that's not politically correct to say such things. And we can easily get caught in a trap. Proverbs 4 verse 23, our theme for, the script, for, for this series, we are looking at that verse that we've, I've asked each and every one of you if you can, and if you're new to church today and uh, you're trying us out or you're a guest at church this morning or even if you're listening online, I would ask you to put this verse to memory if you can. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, 
guard your heart, for it is the life spring of life itself. Above all else, guard your heart, because it is the life spring of life itself. Caught in a trap. You ever been caught in a trap? I remember years ago, a preacher at church sharing a story of how in Africa and India they catch monkeys. The way you catch a monkey in nations like that is you use a coconut and you haul out the coconut and make a hole big enough for the monkey to put its hand into it. And basically what the monkey... Oh, shall I show you? Shall I show you rather than explain to you? Is that okay? So to do that, I need a monkey. Hands up, those of you who wants to be... Oh, that's brilliant. I've got hands up for something. Give, give Kate a big round of applause. She comes forward. Kate is going to be our monkey this morning. Sorry, Katie, Kate, Katie. We've got so many different types of... I'm trying to get this out. Here it comes. It's the... There it is. Some fruit for you. Is that nice to eat? Don't eat it yet. Can you imagine for me, because I tried to get a coconut in a week, finding coconuts in shops is difficult, and I didn't fancy trying to spending all my weekend. So can you imagine this is a coconut? Okay, close your eyes if you need to. Imagine this is a coconut. And so basically, if what they do in India and in Africa and places generally where they find monkeys, is what they do is they cut a hole in the coconut. And they get a piece of fruit that's just large enough to fall into the hole. And so basically, they drop the fruit into the coconut. And they tie the coconut to a tree in order that the coconut can't get away. And guess what happens? The little monkey comes along and smells the fruit. <laughs> yeah. It's just like that. Is, it, is that how the monkey smells the fruit? <laughs> They tend to, it's, it's kind of a bit of a... Oh. Try for me. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Who said dog? That's not dog. How does a monkey smell fruit then? You don't really know, do you? Right, okay. So the monkey comes along, smells the fruit, and guess what? Puts the hand inside to get the fruit out and tries to find the fruit and pull it out. But what happens? Oh, the hand gets stuck. And you just walk up and catch the monkey. How clever is that? Now, you would think if the monkey has got uh, someone coming in to catch the monkey, all the monkey has to do is what? Let go of the fruit, and your hand comes straight out. Put it back in again. Try and get it out. You see, you get caught. Let it go. There we are. Give her a big round of applause. The monkey is so overtaken by its need to hang on to the fruit that it won't let go. And that's how you catch a monkey. That is how you catch a monkey. Incredible, isn't it? So I went online and I tried to find, like there must be some video or everything else, I guess. And I thought, you know, I spent all week searching. And I thought this was like a fake thing. I, I searched YouTube, this must be on there. There might be some video um, somewhere. And there's all kinds of how to catch monkeys within all kinds of different traps if you Google it. But there was one that I found and I'll share, with it, I'll share it with you this afternoon. So if you're connected with me on Facebook, please free connect with me on Facebook if you're here at church this morning. 
morning or uh, if you're following us online, but I'll share that with you and you can see the, the video that goes all the way to colonial Britain and you can see some people with flat heads going out to catch monkeys and showing it in, in that way. How interesting is that? Did you find that interesting? We can be monkeys too. You see, we can get our hands on some stuff that gets us in a trap. We can get involved in things that are, maybe we're just looking, you know, we want certain things and we desire certain things or we get involved sometimes in things that we should just steer clear of. And instead of steering clear of it and just letting them go, and being free of it, we still hang on to these things. And one of these things that we hang on to often is offense. Someone has wronged us. Someone has said something to us. And instead of just letting it go and walking away, we hang on to it and we get caught in a trap. Before we turn to the scriptures together this morning, as we look at the trap of offense, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that's a, a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Lord, we welcome the Holy Spirit in this place this morning, and we ask him, will you come and shine a light into our hearts today? Get rid of the shade, get rid of the shadows, dispel the darkness, we would ask by the light of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we might learn to live healthy and whole as you want us to, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. How can you tell if you're trapped? How can you tell if you're caught in a trap and you can't get out? What are the signs? So we're going to look at three things together. And this message this morning is really, really basic. Okay, We're going to look at a, uh, at a, at a scripture um, shortly that's uh, to be found in James. And this text that we're going to look at is the source of all kinds of traps. It begins here. It begins in our thought life, but a lot of the time, the traps come from the tongue, don't they? This is what James says about the tongue. Have a look at this scripture that's to be found in um, James as we read it on screen uh, together. We all stumble in many ways, says the scripture. Don't we all stumble? Yeah, we all stumble, we all fall over, we all mess up, we all do stuff, don't we, that we don't want to do. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Anyone perfect here? Put your hands up, all the perf perfect ones in church this morning. There we are, just the one liar in church this morning. We've just found your imperfection, whoever put their hand up right at the back uh, there. And if you're, you're clearly not married yet, whoever it was, who put the hand up? Are you married yet? Who put the hand up? Somebody I saw at the back there? There was someone. Come on, admit it. Who was it put their hand up? Oh, <laughs> who's that? Ben. <laughs> and, yeah, okay. We won't go in there. Ben, uh, that happens to be the guy who's dating my eldest daughter. Okay. But Ben, you may get married one day and uh, you'll realize you're maybe not as perfect as you thought. Anyone who is never at fault, says the scripture, in what they say is perfect. Able to keep their, keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. 
Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Doesn't it? Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. May God bless his word to us. You know, a big, big ship is served by a little rudder. A forest is set on fire by a small spark. Even a huge horse that's, you know, ten hands tall or whatever it is, is controlled. That huge beast is controlled by putting a small bit in its mouth. And we are the same, aren't we? Our tongues get us into all kinds of trouble. And what happens with offense is either something that's said or typed, but what happens is the offense is something that can catch fire. A lot of the time when we are offended, instead of keeping it to ourselves, we begin to share it with others because we've been wronged. And we start this fire that can get all caught. So, five things I'm going to share with you this morning. Five signs to help you. Num firstly, identify the trap. So, I'd like you to do a little health check this morning. Check your heart, because the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart. And we're going to look at our hearts this morning, and we are going to identify this morning some traps. So, the first trap, the first thing that we can uh, identify to know that we're caught in a trap is, number one, you resent someone else's fruit. You resent someone else's fruit. You see, quite often if we're envious or jealous, or one of the Ten Commandments is that we should not covet. That's to desire something or someone that's not ours. It might be that you fancy someone, girls. Pretty girls here in the front row. It might be that your mate fancies the same guy that you fancy. Mm. And you get offended just by the very fact that she likes the same guy that you like. Oh no, I'm just being real here, am I? And so what happens, instead of being happy for your friend, you start getting envious or jealous or even getting offended by it and it's difficult to be happy for your friend when she fancies the guy that you fancy isn't it isn't it I mean just go and speak to all the women that dated me before I went out with my wife Ruth <laughs> it's so tough but we get resentful of someone else's fruit they bought a new house what they need a new house for? Well, they, they're just planning a family. That's all they're doing. They're like, they've got a two-bedroom. They think that maybe some God's going to bless them with other kids, and so they're upgrading early. You don't know that, but what do they need a new house for? No? Just being real. Or have you seen... Have you, have you seen... Uh, just a little bit of envy I'm going to share. When Are you okay if I confess, confess my sins here? Are you? Really? I mean, somebody in our church drives a big Harley Davidson. And every time I see it, I look at Gareth's Harley, do you? 
Do you look at Gareth's Harley? Guys, come on, let's real talk here. I look at Gareth's Harley and I wish it was mine. I do. I've already said to them about three or four times, I said, you know, I don't know who's going to have it after his time. or whatever. You're more than welcome to leave it in your will to me if you want, Gareth. No problem at all. That's okay. But I look at his Harley and it's shiny and everything. And I have to train my heart to be happy for Gareth, do I? I say, ain't it great that Gareth gets his Harley? How long did it take you to stay for that, bruv? I waited till I retired. He waited till he retired to get his. He's worked hard for that. How many years were you working? 48 years of work and effort and toil. He deserves a Harley. Big round of applause. We can get resentful, can't we? Say, how does he get that? Number one, you resent someone else's fruit, jealousy or envy. Number two, you speak negatively about someone. We use certain adjectives to describe them that we shouldn't describe. Come on, I'm just being real, am I? It's oh, oh. Oh, never phones me back. Never phones me back him. Never phones me back her. And we find all kinds of things that they do that wind us up and we begin to amplify them. That's what we do. We find little things that they do and we turn the volume up in our heart. Oh, they, they don't help like I help. See, I, I've been doing this at the church. I've been cleaning at the church for 20 years. And I'm here first, and I leave last, and they come and they go as they please and everything else. And we soon start finding fault in other people. And we soon start speaking negatively about them. You know, you love your kids, don't you? Those of you that have got kids, we overlook, don't we? True love overlooks failings, doesn't it? And we kind of find that easy to do with our family sometimes. Until sometimes we can even have an offense with somebody in our family and then, and then that can take into a cycle. But true love overlooks failings. Because none of us are perfect. We just read the scripture. Don't we? Don't we? Okay. Right, you know. So, can I be real? Real talk. Can I be real? All of you know I'm officially the most enthusiastic person on the planet, don't you? You all know that, okay? I don't know what it is. God has blessed me, maybe for my journey in life, to be, you know, have this high-level motivation. I just keep going. I love the fact that God's blessed me with that. Do you love it? Sometimes you think, oh, play it down, Phil. But I love the fact that I don't need a pep talk. I don't need to listen to Tony Robbins to charge me up. I get up in the morning and say, thank you, Lord, for this new day, and off I go. I love life. That I get a chance to live life and do what I do. I love it. So I don't have to motivate myself. Oh, but timekeeping, all of you know that timekeeping is something I find really difficult to do because I'm a live-in-the-moment person. I know I should be something else in five minutes. I know I need to be doing it, but punctuality is not my biggest strength, is it? Come on, those of you who know me, real talk here. Well, if you want to criticize me for my punctuality, can I, cr can I criticize you for your lack of positivity? Can I? Because you might be on time, but you moan all the time. I'm just doing real talk here. Can you overlook mine while I overlook yours? 
That's what perfect love does. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that gives me the right to be late all the time. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it gives you the right to be negative all the, all the time. But we just got to work, with the th- work on the things that we find challenging. That's what love does. And that's why we're called to be the church together and why we're called to be in God's family together is so that we can love on each other and build each other up, not tear each other down. Ephesians says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building each other up in the Lord. Your trap might be you resent someone else's fruit. Number two, you speak negatively about someone. Number three, you love hearing about that person or someone's misfortune. Hey, you've heard that that brand new Harley You've heard that that Harley has just been stolen or something happened to it. And with glee, because of your offense and jealousy for the Harley, anything. <laughs> Do we? Or you hear that something, come on. Yeah. Or for your girlfriend, I'm just talking girls, I'm being real talk again. They split up. And suddenly you think, well, hey. Look, don't get ahead of yourself, girls. He don't even like you. Maybe. Yeah. But because they split up, suddenly your world becomes great again. Instead of walking around all day in school, and oh, what's wrong? They split up. Morning! You say to your friends, because you are gleeing and you are celebrating and you are happy about someone's misfortune. So those first three. You resent someone else's success or fruit. You speak negatively about them. You love hearing about their misfortune. Can I finish with these other two that might not be familiar with you? Because these are easy. Number four, you hang around with offended people. You know, I was reading the National Geographic this week. The only reason I was reading the National Geographic this week is I was talking to a friend of mine, Chris Cook, and I was talking about this kind of teaching series that I'm, I'm doing at the moment and talking about this principle of being unoffendable, etc. And Chris being the guy that is, I'm at his house and I'm there and we're just talking. He says, oh, my word, Phil, you should read this. And he marched off because Chris reads the National Geographic and here's the copy. And so Chris said, you want to read this, he said to me, Phil, it's spot on what you're talking about. This is National Geographic, August 2018, page 20. And this is what Professor Augustine Fuentes writes. Have you noticed all these professors have got great names, haven't they? And they're never Phil Morgan, Professor Phil Morgan. No, Professor Augustine Fuente. He is the Professor of Anthropology at the University of Notre Dame. He says this. He says, we live in a complicated society, don't we? Economic system, every, everything, you know, in the kind of the world that we're living in at the moment is, is structured in very complex ways. And he says this, we live in complicated societies structured around political and economic processes that generate massive inequality and, di- and uh, disconnection between us all as people. This division alone leads to a plethora of prejudices and blind spots that divide and segregate people. Would you agree with that? Poverty divides, isn't it? Economic divides, social divides, all kinds of divisions that we talk about. 
The ways we socially interact, particularly via social media, are multiplying exactly at the same time when we are increasingly becoming divided. What may be the consequences? Historically, we have maintained harmony by displaying compassion and geniality and by fostering connectedness when we get together. However, anonymity and the lack of face-to-face -face interaction on social media platforms in particular remove a crucial part of the equation of human sociality. That opens the door to more frequent and more severe displays of aggression. We become antagonizers, especially to those you don't have to confront face-to-face. -face. We call them keyboard warriors, don't we? Have you met a few? I've met quite a few keyboard. We used to call them telephone warriors back in my day in 1986, before the dawn of the internet. And we used to call them telephone warriors. It might be a customer, it might be a supplier, somebody who had a gripe with you. They were really brave on a phone, but when you met them face to face, they were like lambs. And now we've got new types of warriors, keyboard warriors, that are the same. If there are no repercussions for it and for our actions that encourages the growth of aggression, incivility, and just plain meanness. And that is the danger of social media platforms. Is that true? Is that true? Yes, it is. And so what happens is we get caught up in these traps, and if we hang around with offended people, we end up getting caught up in their trap. It's like the monkey illustration. It's like Katie that we used earlier on being caught with her fruit and me getting involved, trying to pull her out of the whole mess and getting everybody involved. And all we've all got to do, so we can all go home, is for Kate to just let go of the fruit. And we could just all go home to our monkey happy land, couldn't we? But because we're all trying to help Katie get rid of the, out of her trap, we all get caught up in it. And that's what happens with people at the office. Say, oh, you won't believe what the boss said to me this morning. What did he say to you? He picked me up for being late. Yeah, is the sensible thing to say, isn't it? You were late. Oh, he didn't understand. He didn't understand what. Well, I've got a young family and I've got to rush and I've got to get the kids to school and I've got to. Da, 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 da. He said, Oh, that's unfair that he said. Oh, we get caught up in their uh, offense. So, fourthly, you hang around with offended people. And what he fin starts this article by saying is uh, Augustine Fuente. He says that just like you are what you eat, have you heard that phrase? Yeah. Online and socially, you are who you meet. You are who you meet. We become like the people that we meet with on a regular basis. You are offended, for, fifthly, because of someone else's offense. So first of all, uh, fourthly, you hang around with offended people, okay? But the second part of it is where we get involved in someone else's offense. You're at the office. There's a problem. And instead of encouraging that person to go and speak to the boss and sort it out, they say to you, can you go and have a word with him for me? And now you get embroiled in the situation. That's nothing whatsoever to do with you. And you get involved in somebody else's offense. And the boss says to you, why are you talking to me? Well, and it all starts this huge, huge mess. Mark 6, verse 21 to 28 is a good example of this. 
This is the story of Herodias. And basically, in that day, uh, John the Baptist had been speaking out to Herodias, who uh, as, uh, was um, kind of uh, marrying the brother of someone who she shouldn't have been marrying. And there was John the Baptist had told her off about it and said, you shouldn't be doing that. And instead of just accepting it, the fact that she was wrong, she got offended and she got bitter. In fact, she got so bitter, have a listen to this scripture. Mark 6, verse 21 to 28. A convenient day when Herod spread an evening meal on his birthday for his high officials and the military commanders and the most prominent men of Galilee, the daughter of Herodias came in and danced. She pleased Herod and all those dining with him. The king said to the girl, Salome was her name, ask me for whatever you want and I will give it to you. Yes, he swore to her, whatever you ask for me, I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom. I don't know, let's take a guess what the king's worth. Can we just be reasonable and say maybe he's worth 10 million? Agreed? Yes. 10 million. What's half of his kingdom worth, girls? Five million. Well done. We're doing maths well this morning. So you've got an opportunity. Salome has got an opportunity to lay her hands on five million pounds. Good option? Great option. So she went out, continues the scripture, and said to her mother, Mom, I don't know what happened. You can't believe what's happened. You know when you were telling me for a kid, quit that dancing, you're rubbish. Well, I danced tonight, and it was amazing, so amazing. Herod, then, do you know how much he's worth, ma'am? Ten million! How much? He's going to give me up to half of the kingdom. And she must be really excited. And so she turns to him and says, what shall I ask for? Shall I ask for the palace? Shall I ask for the cars? Shall I ask for the pool? Okay, maybe not cars. They didn't exist in those days. But ask for the pool. What shall I ask for? The jewelry? The, what shall I ask for? What shall I ask for, she said. The mother replies, ask for the head of John the Baptist. I mean, I had to put up a fight. I don't know if the scripture says it. I said, <laughs> What do you mean, ma'am? Five million quid or the head of John the Baptist? Like, I mean, this could set me up for life, but she's got offended, hasn't she? And maybe the conversation went, girl, you'll do as you're told. You get in there right now, isn't it? Controlling mums, maybe getting offended, taking their gripe, and it affects everybody around her. And it affects Salome because she's hanging around with an offended person. And she could have laid her hands on five million quid. But instead, look at what the scripture says. She immediately went into the king and made her request, saying, I want you to give me right away on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Although this deeply grieved him, the king did not want to disregard her request because of his oaths and his guests. So the king immediately sent a bodyguard and commanded him to bring John's head. So he went off, beheaded in the prison, and brought his head on, her, on a platter. And this verse here to end is a very interesting verse. Listen to it. He, the bodyguard, gave it to the girl. And the scripture says, and the girl gave it to her mother. That's how offense works. She takes the head. I mean, she didn't want the head. She wanted five million. 
and the pool and the villa and the cars. But instead, because of this messed up family, because she was in the wrong, was Herodias. There's your rotten head, mum. I don't know what that family story ended out like, but it probably didn't end well, because maybe the girl that had done all of that dancing looks back at her life and thinks things should have been so much more different. Secondly, not only do we need to identify the trap, we need to escape the trap. And I'll be quite quick on these last two points because they are far, far easier for us to get through. Number one, to escape the trap, you've got to realize that you're caught in a trap, haven't you? Back to suspicious minds. That's what the singer is saying. That's what he's singing. He says, hey, hun, we're caught in a trap. We can't go on like this with you, with your suspicious mind, because you don't trust me. We can't go on like this. And there's the realization that he has. Or the monkey must realize that if he only just lets go of the fruit, he's free. There's a really good teaching sister, uh, series that uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick of Elevation Church at this moment is doing called Triggers. And it's just really good because I started on this series and he's just started a new one. And he's teaching us to identify the triggers, what sets you off. Okay, it's a little bit like put the pin back in that we talked about last time together. But what sets you off? Can we overlook the failings of those we love? Can we stop using those words when things happen that we say, how rude? How rude is he? Or how rude is she? And because there's something that's there that's unresolved, we suddenly find these people now rude. Or we get angry. Or we form emotional connections with what they're doing. We, we, don't speak to me like that. We, we, we kind of respond to that. You know, and, and it sets off triggers. Number one, the three R's, if I can call them this, of escaping the trap. Number one, realize or begin to identify those triggers. Number two, recognize them and let it go. You know, Teflon is a great product, isn't it? Teflon coated pans. We call it sometimes Teflon shoulders for certain managers that nothing sticks to them, do we? You know, Teflon's a great product. Can we have Teflon hearts? Or better than that, not that something sticks, as I shared with you before, can we become Madagascar Christians? Smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave, isn't it? Where stuff comes our way, and instead of, how dare she speak to me like that? Or how dare he do that? Or, or learn to be happy and say, smile and wave at Gareth's Harley. Isn't it? Look at him go. 48 years he worked for that. Yeah, it's just the way we think and process things. Number one, realize it, recognize it, and refuse access to it. Don't let it have room in your heart at your heart's door. So, we must not only identify the trap and escape the trap, but in uh, closing, we must defend the trap how do we do that how do we stop getting ourselves in the trap in the first place if you're there we know what we need to do to be set free but what do we do to stop putting our hands in again I've talked about those three R's that we need to do can I close by giving you three things from God's word number one abide in his word 
Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a cognitive neuroscientist with a PhD in communication pathology and a BSc in logopedics and audiology and specializes in metacognitive and cognitive neuropsychology. Isn't that cool? I have no idea what she does, but she's got a very big brain. And she's also a Bible-believing Christian. And what's incredible, if you read her books, she says that it's been scientifically proven that God's Word changes our brains. Put you under an MRI scan, your brain changes as we process God's Word. Isn't that unbelievable? It's just science finally catching up, isn't it? What's the renewing of your mind? Isn't that the same thing? Romans 12, yeah? Same thing, yeah? God's Word changes our brains. Get into God's Word, number one, to defend against the trap. Number two, exhibit the fruits. Galatians 5 verse 23 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We need more love, don't we? Lord, more love. We need more joy. Instead of negative thinking, we can all be a bit more positive. Can't we, folks? Patience for when I'm late. Patience. Oh, God bless him. He's going to come in now and he's going to say, oh, sorry, I'm late. Help me to forgive him, Lord. Help me to forgive him. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Self-control. Against such thing, there's no limits. There's no law. Exhibit the fruits. Number three, choose your friends wisely. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good character. You know, they change who you are. You might be hanging around with them because you're praying for them and, and you might be there saying, look, I, I, you know, I think I can change them. The Bible tells us that bad company corrupts good character. It doesn't say that good company changes bad character, does it? Do they change who you are? Some signs of this. Have you got someone who when you're in their presence you end up doing things that you don't even want to do yourself I've got a friend of mine and I was out with him um, uh, one day and suddenly on this day he'd become really sweary I was out with him he's not a Christian but you know I was out with him and I'd I'd do business with him and he was really really sweary and I said he said his name then I said why are you so sweary today? I've never seen you like effing and jeffing and all of what you're doing. I've never seen you like this. He says, oh, I don't know what it is. But when I spent four days with these two guys, and he'd been for four days with these, he'd been Monday through Thursday with these two guys, he says, I don't know what it is. They bring it out in me. They are always effing and jeffing. And so when I've been with them, I end up getting involved. And he says, the thing is, Phil, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And I find myself with you today here. And I know before you even asked me, because I've been with him most of the day, at lunchtime, you know, you're asking, why are you, why are you, what's up with you today? Are you having a bad week or whatever it is? I knew I was doing it. 
I knew I was doing it this morning. I know you're a pastor and I know all of what you do. He says, but I can't stop myself because bad company corrupts good character. Do you do things with them that are unhelpful for you? I mean, like order, you could just have one drink, one glass of wine and one beer and that's fine. But when you're with this person, they're toxic. And they say, oh, come on, have another one with me. One for the road. You don't even drive home, but you have one for the road anyway. And you end up going on this journey because bad company corrupts good character. Do they criticize your values? They're no friend at all if they criticize your values. Swap them out right now. Anyone who wants to call themselves a friend of Phil, you must respect my faith. I respect you. I respect your life choices. Can you respect mine? If you can't respect me, you'll be no friend of mine. I'm entitled to my opinion, aren't I? Please don't get offended by what I, I say, because I'm not offended by what you say. I mean, some of my friends, my closest friends, they live certain lifestyles. Some of my friends don't believe in God. They are atheists. Can you believe it? Can you believe it that I hang around with atheists, Elin? Don't believe in God. But you know, I respect their view. Doesn't mean I agree with them. I, I get it. But equally, they respect my view. They think I'm crazy. I think they're mad. But we can agree to disagree, can't we? And not get offended and caught up. So next time when we're together, we're going to look at other things like the fruit. The fruit of offense. Anger. Bitterness sickness and a whole bunch so very practical message for you today so as the team come up to close can i ask you this week can we just do a health check can we can we have a health check when people are with us in the office and when we are going our individual way this week and when we want to maybe say something can we be teflon can we just smile and wave boys smile and wave can we just that offense or the things that they say can we show them god's love and can we become undefendable can we do that secondly can we maybe do a health check of maybe people that are in our lives that have a bad influence upon us maybe because like herodias they've got offended about something and they are dragging you into something that's nothing whatsoever to do with you address it address it take the temperature of where you're at and let's become unoffendable and not be get caught in any traps whatsoever thank you this message was brought to you by abc church for more information please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on facebook or twitter you can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.